You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump. With me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and we are back in training camp. We're back in uniforms. We're running around, throwing the ball. We're running real plays. We uh, we finally put the paper to the field. How's it feel, Cranky? Oh, sore. It's running around the field all day. <laughs> no, it's great. It's finally, you know, we've spent eight months talking about off-season things nothing to do with actual football being played and now we are finally back on the field uh making this team better for real it's no longer who did we draft who did we sign who did we cut who did we make roster space for it's who's winning in a drill who's beating out who for a position who's going to be starting over who who's going to be ready for the first training camp game and that is exciting and especially when you are building off a year like we did last year where it's just not, you know, what we've done for the last 93 years, just, all right, well, we have a rebuild and, you know, we hope for the best. This is actually exciting time. So I am very excited. Getting to be one of my favorite times of the year as we get into August and into football season. Yeah, all the uh, the answers to all the questions we had all off season are starting to take shape. Um for sure. that, that's exciting. Uh, you know, like how good is X going to be? Who's going to start at this position? All those things we're starting to see the answers to, and it's exciting. Yeah. Um, and this is awesome. And uh, training camp is kind of open to the public. You just have to get tickets. They're free. And we will be at Thursday's practice this week. We haven't been to one training camp yet, but it's only been one week. We're going to go over that in this episode but uh just wanted to start off by saying that we'll be at this thursday's practice so um if you are there come say hi i guess yeah Um, we also we also should give props too for why we are going yeah yeah um giants daily trivia is a great twitter account that you should follow for really difficult i would say generally (laughs) speaking difficult trivia yes um but we'll make you a smarter fan, and that's who got us the tickets. We were a little late on the draw, uh, and they were all swallowed up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, some but, of us have, yeah. Some of us have day jobs and have to, to rush onto the internet as soon as they were available, and they were gone really quickly. So glad that uh, I'm, I'm glad that Wes uh, pulled through for us. We really appreciate it, and we will be out there Thursday. Yeah. Um. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, Heard a lot of stuff about camp. It sounds exciting. We're going to get into all that stuff, but uh, I'm excited to go. I'm hoping that the weather is like it's been like the last two days here. Yeah, we could do without 100 degrees because we've been out there a couple of times in the last couple of years, and we've died. It has been brutally hot, and even if you're under the, the cover of those bleachers, it's all aluminum, and it's just – you're just baking. It's like Kramer in Seinfeld when he had all the – the oregano oil all stuff or all over him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how we feel out there. So this hopefully we'll have nice conditions this week, no thunderstorms, nothing bad, and uh, get to observe for ourselves. We can get, we'll tell you everything that we see and what our uh, what our thoughts are. 
Yeah, I'm excited for that. It's going to be fun. I could, it, just like you said, we've been out there some days. It's like, you didn't even make it into the camp. Like, you're still like in the parking lot on Ugh. a line, which it's not a long line because they just kind of let you in. But, like, you're already sweating through your shirt before you yeah. get in. Like, it's, man. Um, so, hoping for not that, now that I've bitched and moaned about that, I guess. Um, <laughs> but the real news coming into camp, uh, you know, last time we did an episode was, you know, right after we, we did an episode Monday night, then had to do one Tuesday, right, for Saquon Barkley signing his deal. And then, like, immediately after that, Andrew Thomas signs a five-year extension worth $117.5 million. $15 million signing bonus. There's $67 million guaranteed throughout the life of this contract. He averages roughly around $23 million a year. Um, he's signed through 2029. There's a possible, like, dead out in 2027. There's, like, only, like, a $3 million hit. Uh, 28 and 29 there's a zero dollar hit for him being cut um his cap hit for this year goes down to nine million only about one million dollar difference there um every year this contract i think is pretty interesting and dan duggan pointed this out too but it jumps right out these days when guys get the blockbuster deals or whatever you see these monumental numbers and it's like artificially inflated in like the last two years. Like you can see right off the bat, it's like, well, he won't be on the team those two years. Or even if he is at that point, they're going to restructure those deals because he's either outplaying that and they'll restructure his deal before that or he's not playing that well and they're going to restructure his deal so they don't owe him that. So I don't see that with this one. It's like everywhere is like around $20 million a year for him, which is good for him. And you know something? In the end of that contract, that may be a bargain. You know, let's remember who we're talking about. I mean, we're talking someone that is a top five left tackle in this league right now, and they are extremely difficult to get. They're basically impossible on the open market, and you have to get pretty damn lucky to draft someone like that. And uh, you get him, you lock him up, and you know. The number looks high. I mean, we all are suffering sticker shock when we see these numbers. But you got to keep in the back of your mind that the cap is going to go up and going to go up again and going to up go up again. So it may turn out to be a, a pretty good deal for the Giants at the end of this thing. My thing, Grump, is that you know when this went down, I just was thinking about my checklist of this offseason. And what were the major things that we had to accomplish? You know, things kind of trickle out during the offseason. We talk about it. We move on to something else three weeks later. But think of all the things that we've accomplished in this offseason. And think of how we're only really talking about 13, 14, 15 months of this administration with the team. We re-signed Daniel Jones. We re-signed Dexter Lawrence. We re-signed Andrew Thomas. We do not have Saquon Barkley on on the tag we did not have to restructure guys like leonard williams out to kick the can down the road even further with their money we basically accomplished everything that we wanted to do with those big ticket items that you know could really alter the face of this franchise going forward and then all the other moves that we've made like you know kind of you know isaiah hodgins uh you know bobby or 
the you know the draft that we have, the fruitful potential we have for this draft. I mean, this really you know, and as we really put finally put a bow on the off season, and as we're talking about free agents or training camp, really has been fantastic from the standpoint of set it, continuing to set this team up for long term sustainable success. You know, 2023 and beyond, and I'm really happy with these guys have done. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to ask you a couple questions about this because I think this is like sure. a really interesting moment in um, Giants history. I really do think that. Like, uh, this is a major turning point in the organization, potentially. Uh, we have one good year, so I don't want to overstate things. Um, but it certainly feels like this is a big shift. Um, and so I'm going to ask you a series of questions here, so hang with me for a minute here. Um does this feel like a big shift from that, like, dull period in the 90s, like the Dan Reeves and prior to that, going into the Jim Fossil, Tom Coughlin era? Or, or is that too – that was too kind of like a steady of a climb? Or, or does it feel comparable? Well, in the 90s, the biggest thing for me was we never really – after Sims and before – I'll say Kerry Collins to be polite, but the the question marks at quarterback made everything else just major question marks about the franchise. I mean, dealing with the the Dave Browns and you know who Danny was going to be quarterback. yeah and Jesse Palmer and and all these things. When you don't have a quarterback, everything else really is kind of almost secondary to what you're doing. And so in that respect, it was different. Well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, take a step back. You're looking at a little more roster level. Like, I just mean the general, you know, I, I'm lumping Tom Coughlin in there, but the, the fact of the matter is that this team has, this franchise has been slipping out of the national spotlight slowly from 2012 on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it just sunk to a real low point in probably the last five to six years. Right. I mean, it was it was literally darkest before dawn, you know, before we we completely cleaned house and started anew with everything that might have been the lowest point in this franchise since, you know, the the early mid 70s. OK. All right. I mean, we never in, in that period in the 90s, we were never laughing stocks. We were never irrelevant. We were never, you know, we there were was just a, a three win season in there, too, for sure, though. Uh, there was the first year of Parcells was really bad, but it never got brutally, brutally bad. Mm, I think I'm those Dan to... Reeves years might be a little bit worse than you remember. Going to the Dan Reeves football reference page to see, but keep going. Um, okay, so that's that's my number one thing. I was like, so the, so you think this is even more monumental than in your lifetime, really? Um. This is the biggest, like, I think we really got something here moment, I think, from when really the Bill Parcells era turned the corner after the first disastrous year. Okay. All right. Um, so I want to talk uh, – I mean, so you, you mentioned um, the checklist of guys that have been re-signed, and I'm sure there's going to be assholes who want to dissect everything down to – uh, the minutia as to who deserves credit here, Dave Gettleman or not, because these are Dave Gettleman guys that are all ta- being talked about, Jones, Barkley, Lawrence, um, and, and Thomas as well. That's that's irrelevant to me. I think what's more important is 
not one of those guys. They, none of these were really a struggle. I mean, the the Barkley one gets the headline, but none of these. And Jones came down to the wire, uh, I, I guess. Um, but that was really going to be that was always going to be difficult when you had two guys with your choice as to who to put the tag on. Um, yes. But but other than that, none of these guys were a huge struggle because none of them were looking to reset the market, even though some of them deserve it. I would say Andrew Thomas, I would say Dexter Lawrence, at least had enough ammunition to come to the negotiating table saying, I want to reset the market. That's my opinion. I, I don't know. But don't you think it's interesting that the real storyline in here is that for – the better part of a decade, we were unable to re-sign our own draft picks. And, sure. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, in one offseason, four, five draft picks, six if you want to count Shepard a second time, um, re-signed between Slayton, Thomas, Barkley, Lawrence, and Daniel Jones. Not I, think big- I mean, how much of that is – so? I want to say that a lot of the problem was in the Jerry Reese era was a miscommunication of Mark Ross handling the draft, Jerry Reese handling free agency and a lot of the roster stuff, and Tom Coughlin, the coach. And all three of them kind of all going in three separate directions. Led to a lot of not re-signed draft picks, a lot of draft picks that didn't even earn playing time, um, and, and things like that. And, and Jerry Reese being a shrewd negotiator, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, a lot of times guys didn't deserve to be re-signed. Um, how much would you say is the winning culture and guys being okay playing for less? How much of it is just coaching comfort? How much of it is what, – what do you think plays into that? Like I, just, I do think it's really interesting. There's got to be more than one reason, right? Well, I'm going to – Winning culture. I'm gonna kind of take a little bit of a pause on that. I mean, we had a we had a nice year last year. I don't know if we have a winning culture just yet. We have. I mean, really I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the not their career here, but their relationship with the coach and front office as it stands. I, I think the biggest thing is just the availability to be able to resign these guys. I mean, I think a lot of the problems we've had in the past were, you know, we just simply couldn't afford to keep a, you know. Dalvin Tomlinson, for example, or, you know, a, 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 somebody that we had drafted that we would like to keep, but we just not be able to keep. So I think having the avail, the, the thinking three steps ahead as they were negotiating and working out this salary cap situation that we had is a big, big factor that we had the availability to, you know, bring back multiple guys that are getting into their fourth, fifth year and, and all that. Um, but I think it's all, you know, I think it's a testament to the front office and coaching staff that, you know, like you said, these are not their guys. And it's very easy to wipe your hands clean of a, well, he's not my guy. I think putting your ego in check a little bit and saying, you know, these are our guys and we think these are these are pieces that we want to keep building on and keep, you know, keep in house. That's a major credit. And I think that's part of. That doesn't just happen as you're getting ready to negotiate. I think that's something that's earned from the moment this coaching staff came in the building. From the moment this front office you know, took their positions and they had their first interviews and meetings with players and agents, that the tone was set that you know, 
I'm coming in here. I'm wiping the slate clean of good, bad, and different before, and I don't have any preconceived that I want to keep this guy or get rid of this guy. And I think that started from day one to mix the free flow of negotiation, offers, counter offers, proposals, everything greases the skids for that. So I think a lot of this really goes to the front office and the coaching staff for, you know, setting that culture to make these moves happen. I, I, again, I'm not going to go into the winning culture because we, we, we're working on that. That's majorly in progress. But I think the culture of identifying guys that they want regardless of where they came from and nurturing it to the point where it's time to really talk turkey and get a deal done. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned having the availability to sign these guys. I think uh, – I, I see, I don't know if this is dumb luck because the Giants just said fuck it and threw all their cards on the table last year and they managed to win with it. Or if this is just simply um, that Joe Shane is better with finances than we're used to. And we're not – I mean, we knew Dave Gettleman – there is no debate as to how he was with money. He was not good writing contracts. Well, I, I think this, there also might have been different mandates for different uh, front offices too. I think definitely sure. think that Dave Gettleman was, was we are going to ride or die and try to get Eli one more ring and try to win with that. So it was mm. much more of a – I don't care about three years from now. You know, let, We're, we're going to try to win this thing now. And I think when – they realized when they cleaned house that we this this is rotting wood, this organization. We have to completely rebuild. We're not looking at quick fixes and uh, you know spend now type of thing. If anything, I think the success of last year has maybe pushed this timeline up slightly hmm. to that window coming quicker than they thought. And that might have been a mirage last year. We'll know that at the end of this year. But um, even – the moves that were made if that timeline was pushed forward seem to be measured, controlled, and for sustainability, not just we're throwing all the chips in. This is not another Eagles move of throwing all your chips in and trying to win right now. This is not the Bucks when they got Tom Brady at all. No. No, I, I think that the the finances are just better now. I mean, all, mm-hmm. I, I think that the negotiating tactics that were used along the way, reaching out, trying to get things done early, you know, we can say whatever we want about the franchise tag and its use on Barkley. It's a tool to be used, and it was used. But before that, Joe Shane reached out to, to Saquon Barkley early for a possible extension. There was work being done behind the scenes very early on to get this stuff in motion. And now, even after we've gone through this checklist of these are four guys that were brought back, that they're the four big-ticket guys – we still have $50 million in cap space to play with next year. And that could be work on Xavier McKinney's contract, maybe, if he earns it through this year. Um, th- the thought of a Dory Jackson being retained seemed like a pipe dream at one point, where I was kind of like, I feel like if I don't pound the table for this, no one's going to think of it because of the price tag kind of thing. Now I think it's a logist- like a real thing, like... You know, if he's still playing at the top of his game, keep him around. Why let him walk? Uh, hey, Leonard if, Williams. I was, I was, he just took it. I was just going to say, what about Leonard Williams? I mean, everybody thinks it's a foregone conclusion that he was going to get, you know, cut either this year or next year. He, if he's stay, still playing well and we have money to work, they may just, you know, extend or, or whatever. And 
find no, a way to keep him in. around. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The other thing is they can still pull in a big name wide receiver because you know we may not still have a number one on this team. I don't think we do. It doesn't seem like it. Um, may not need one, but I mean that's one thing that could happen. They could pull in a different cornerback that's got the big name. They could pull in a big name edge guy to rotate in. It gives you flexibility, maneuverability, because you know there may there may be a glaring need on this team next year that we have no idea right now that we have. You know, somebody can blow out a knee, or you know, who knows? We're all we're talking, you know, July thirty first, two thousand twenty four, and it's like okay, we had to address this major thing, so we don't know. But you want to have that flexibility that you can pounce if you have to. One last thing on the uh, the whole finances stuff. Um, you said earlier on we were talking specifically about Andrew Thomas, and uh-huh. you said that he is a top five left tackle in this league. I think so. I think that he proved that last year. What do you, and you know? I thought it for a long time. Um, I also think that tackles they have. It takes a long time to learn the adjustment from the college game to the NFL game. He had a shaky half of a year, and every snap just about since the second half of his rookie year on has been improvement, 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 always every week looking more and more legit. And it's never really – we've never really looked back with him. There was never a year or like a a, a couple of games – there's never been sustained time where like, man, he's really taken a step back. And I know it's still early and whatever. My point is is that the national view of Andrew Thomas was that first half rookie year label that he had up until I think last year. I don't know. You talk to more people around the league with more diverse NFL opinions. Do you think that's still the viewpoint on Andrew Thomas? Is he being viewed as a top five guy? I think he's finally starting to get the, the credit or just the recognition that he deserves. I think it, took, it was a long time coming. I think that I think part of the problem with him is he's being he was lumped in with a lot of other giant cliches. You know, Daniel Jones is a fumble machine. Uh, you know, this team can't get out of its own way. You know, all these different things. And, um, you know, even Evan Neal, I think, suffers a little from that of just – First impression, because, you know, again, the Giants are on national TV a lot, more than they probably deserved in the last couple of years, and it was bad football that was being presented to a national audience. And when you go out there and you see, you know, a Daniel Jones lay an egg early in his career when when probably shouldn't be exposed to the world, you see Andrew Thomas struggling, uh, you know, the first thing you see is, you know, you're going to – that first impression is very hard to beat. It's beat by repeated evidence to the contrary. And I think that evidence has been repeated enough that I think it's finally, you know, people are saying, yeah, he actually is really good. So, and again, the most important things people to recognize that are, you know, Joe Shane, uh, you know, signing the check. He signed a check for a guy that's a top five left tackle in this league. And I think Andrew Thomas is a warning and a lesson for all of you who are ready to run Evan Neal out of the building already. That, you know, I'm not saying it's a carbon copy. Makes me sound old saying that, but, you know, 
his career trajectory will be exactly the same. But if you are so quick to say, you know, he was a bust, you know, we all know rookie tackles, rookie offensive linemen struggle in this league. Um, all I just say is just kind of hold your tongue and just let's see how this year plays out and don't have your preconceived notion of last year filter your eyes as you watch this year. You remember when credit cards used to be swiped through the physical thing that would press it against the carbon paper? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't. I just saw it in movies. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. No, I, I mean, anyone that's worked retail knows that you have one of those as backup in case the power goes out. So, yeah, I, I do know those. I was just fucking with you. Um, anything more on Andrew Thomas? No, I just, um, you know, if this team in three to four years wins the Super Bowl, and, you know, that would be Dave Gettleman's legacy. Oh. <laughs> I know you you weren't, uh, you know, that I mean, he drafted him. No, so. I, I just... That's not where I thought you were going to go. Anyway, um, training camp. Moving on to training camp. Uh, I do want to bring up something. So uh, we last left off. We talked about the guys that were starting on the PUP list. Uh, one of them already came off, uh, Sterling Shepard. And we also said Jameson Crowder is pretty much off the ro- off the roster because he was on the non-football injury list. He is also practicing. So we got that one completely wrong. Um, we know. At this time, Wandale Robinson, Marcus McKeithen, Ashawn Robinson, DJ Davidson, and Aaron Robinson are still not practicing. And per Dan Duggan, Ashawn Robinson is the only one that appears to be close at this time. That's okay. It is still early. It's July 31st. That's Uh, correct. Big guys with ACLs, that is Marcus and DJ, uh, do not expect fast turnarounds from them. Wandale Robinson, shifty guy, also rookie they brought in plenty of insurance to bring him along slowly he the second round pick is a huge investment they're not going to toy around with that and force him back aaron robinson is more of a mystery he had the gauntlet of injuries that kind of sucks for him because this is sort of a shit or get off the pot year for him kind Um, of yeah so uh that's kind of all i've got on on that stuff but it's cool sterling shepherd is moving around um I kind of expected that. They said he was moving around well in spring, so. You know, I don't want to say he's the kind of the forgotten man, but with all of the, you know, the draft picks and the the free agent moves and moving guys around, who's going to be where in the slot or whatever, you kind of forgot about him. Well, well, let me ask you this. Seriously thinking about the wide receiver group, who's a better wide receiver than him? In this group? Yeah. Right now? Over their careers, nobody. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, but even Oscar like was this, great, was, he was great last year. But do you really expect that production based on what he did previously in his career to just continue where he did last year? I mean, Th- that's not nice. even my. That's not even my point. I, I think I know, Hodgins. I, yeah. No, I, I think even if he does, Hodgins has shown himself to be a good route runner who can make tough catches. He can take the hits in those tough situations. He has good body work along a good footwork, good body control along the sideline. Um, but Sterling Shepard still gets separation the best on this on this team, and he can do a lot of things behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, really in the short and intermediate area, in short spaces, he can get uh, separation and get open. And he's and he can stretch the field. I think he if it's if he's as he was to start last year, the best wide receiver in this group from a skill set standpoint. 
So, yeah, I, I think like, it would be foolish to forget him. From the is purely a wide receiver. Yes, he's the best. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the best receiver on this team right now when fully healthy. Right, and the, I mean, I'm not talking upside. You know what I mean? Like we can say whatever we want about Jalen Hyatt in the next couple of years, or you know, guys who might excel in one specific position, like Paris Campbell or something like that. Um, but yeah, just as a pure wide receiver, I think mm-hmm. so. So yeah, agreed. Um, big talk of this training camp seems to be the offense. We haven't been, so I can't really say for myself, but a lot about DJ is just humming. Um, which is a stark difference to how training camp started last year. Um, you know, Brian Dable let Wink throw the kitchen sink at, at Daniel Jones last year. They were installing a new offense. They were figuring things out. Remember, first-time head coach Brian Dable, first-time offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, Daniel Jones in a new situation, all these other you know, lots of new draft picks and they really mix and matched everywhere last year too so huge difference this year the offense is really moving around we're going to get to some of the other stuff my yeah okay okay yeah i'll jump right into it so they're still doing the uh the mix and match shit with the offensive line so don't take any step any any kind of um big takeaways from any of the early training camp who got first team reps and who didn't if it, it feels like they're building swiss army knives with a few people at this point yeah there's some of that they're kind of also i don't know i they they did this last year too they did this throughout preseason where they had guys moving around don't take it too seriously find it interesting i i think it seems to be brian dable testing the waters for you know backup plans extreme backup plans what their options are and other just other ideas they might have could this guy be this for us? Let's find out. This is the mm-hmm. time to screw around. So they're screwing around. So don't don't take it too seriously. That being said, Darren Waller being completely uncoverable, I think is more of a promising thing for this offense that you can get excited about than anything else. Um, he was going to be the most dynamic piece that was added this offseason season. And it really seems like Jones and him already have that connection. It really seems that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka had a vision for how they wanted to use him very specifically, and they were able to plug him right in. That's all interesting and good, and it's going to come down to his health, right? And that's an easy thing that we could talk about for like 20 minutes. I don't want to waste time with that because it's all very obvious. I have this theory. So the, the talk is how much more comfortable Daniel Jones looks right now versus last year. And I think you could probably argue versus any other time in his career, right? Um, I, I, I think we, we talked about this about a month ago maybe where everything – there's a lot off his mind for the first time in his career. There's no lingering questions about is this his team? You know, Is this really his offense? Is he going to be here? You know, the criticism that he was getting, you know, that's all kind of gone right now. I mean, yeah, it's a lot easier to take it one play at a time, which is what I'm sure he would say, you know, in a contract year, I mean, in, a, in a year with a new offensive coordinator, a year where he's making tons of mistakes. I'm sure he would say that, but it's a lot easier to do that when you know that you're here for four years. And yeah, you, you know what I mean? Let's think about it last year. I mean, forget the four year contract now, but this time last year, he was auditioning. After basically getting a de facto vote of no confidence, they True. did not pick up his fifth-year contract. And that 
kind of you know you can definitely interpret that and you may not necessarily be wrong as being dead man walking so you know he is the, he's thinking about not only trying to play for his next contract with this team he's probably thinking about he's auditioning for other teams in this league about his place in this league you have that factor you're learning a new offense you're dealing with again we didn't have the deepest wide receiver room the offensive line it's still you know, had a rookie in Evan Neal, you know what you're going to get from him. Andrew Thomas, still some questions about him, maybe. Uh, tight ends, completely up in the air. Um, everything is different now. Everything is different. And I think you can relax and just, you know, you, you, you prepare with confidence. You study with confidence. You watch film with confidence. You're not worried about making one mistake and being, you know, maybe shit-canned or something. I was also thinking of all the offenses that Daniels run, do you think that he's the most comfortable with this because it was truly built around him? I mean, I think I think that in the Pat Shermer offense, he was kind of able to let it fly. He was able to throw downfield, but the team around him was kind of garbage. Um, he didn't get a lot of protection. Um, and then you fast forward to Jason Garrett, who almost certainly came in there with the book and the plays and the system. Um, and none of it really felt like it felt uh, it fit Daniel Jones at all. And then you get first-time head coach Brian Dable. You bring in Mike Kafka, first-time offensive coordinator. And one of the early stories that broke was that, you know, Brian Dable just flat asked him, what plays did you like to run in your life in college? You know, what What did you like? What was comfortable? And then at one point, somebody asked Mike Kafka, you know, how much of this is Chiefs playbook or, or you know, the, the Bills playbook. And he corrected them by saying, no, 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 this is the Giants playbook. We built this, the three of us. We built this together. Um, yeah. You, you think that that, like, allowed him to be more comfortable even, say, early on last year, midway through the year when he really felt like he started to hit his stride? Because, like, those early games, they kind of, fought and trudged their way through but dj really started to hit his stride midway through the year i think being healthy too helps too yeah i would agree you know, with that yeah. um sure i mean he was given ownership you know you you were talking about uh, jason garrett where there was no ownership by a quarterback in the offense it was the jason garrett offense and oh hello square peg i am giving you a round hole yeah and this was okay what what shape are you? Let's see how we can mold this in. And uh, again, more if you have ownership in something, you're invested in it more. You know, if you if you work for a company and they give you shares of the company and you're a part owner, you're going to care more about turning the lights on and off to save money. So you know, if you have ownership in how an offense is designed, how the play calling is done, what are you, what what has been tailored to what your strengths are, including your input into that. You're going to play loose, and you're going to play comfortable, and you're going to play, you know, more assured. I'm excited uh, to see this stuff on Thursday. The defensive side, um, the defensive backs are being moved around. I think there's a legitimate camp battle between Darnay Holmes and Cordell Flott in the slot, but I think that Darnay is going to be the odd man out. Um, but otherwise, the safety position, I think they're just mixing and matching. With Pinnock and Belton and McCain next to Xavier McKinney, 
I think Nick McLeod is being moved all over just because he's simply versatile. He's athletic. He's gifted. I like Nick McLeod. I also think that if Nick McLeod becomes a part of this defense that we're talking about midway through this year in a positive way, I don't mean like, oh, star of the game or anything like that, but made a big play on special teams. But more importantly, like jumped in in place of Adoree Jackson for a week and did his job or something like that. I think it's time we start talking about Jerome Henderson as a DB's coach. Just being able to get the most out of guys. Um, His name is always brought up as a coach. We have to start thinking about what life is going to be like when Wink Martindale is not here anymore. It just seems to be a foregone conclusion that one day he's going to be gone sooner than, you know, some other guys maybe. You know, I got to be very honest, Grub. I always feel like all of my coordinators within a three-year window are gone. Yeah. I, you know, just it's either going to be they get fired, get promoted to a new, you know, get get hired to either a lateral or a head coaching job, or my head coach gets smoked and they're going to clean house anyway. So. I think you always have to have that secession plan in place, and, yeah. and especially in this league now more than ever. I'm not usually a promote from within guy, but uh, I would be upset to hear of Jerome Henderson getting a job somewhere else. Uh, and it, it seems to be that he has the potential for being a defensive coordinator at some point. You know, there, there are some teams that go out and get all-stars as coaches and the Patriots are one for sure. Like they're kind of like the Alabama, the NFL, where there's a star offensive coordinator out there. I'm going to try to get him. This team for me feels like it's kind of a, you just mentioned it's like a hodgepodge of well, part of its the chiefs, part of it's the, the bills. Part of it is this homegrown offense of what we're building. You know, it's Wink's defense, but there's wrinkles that are different here. This kind of feels like it might make more sense to have some of these guys homegrown who are learning intricacies of these unique, you know, things we're trying to do here. That makes sense. It does. Um, I don't know. I, I I have a special. I agree with you. Everything down to the the very beginning where you were like, I don't get attached to the coordinators, etc. Um, yeah. Wink is going to be a tough one for me because it just doesn't seem like there's defenses like this very much anymore. And it's it's a defense that I personally very much like, um, especially in today's NFL where the ball is just in the offense's court all the time. This really forces them to make quicker decisions and stuff like that. I like a lot. It's a lot more fun for me to watch. I think it's more effective, and I think... I feel like with this defense that... Once we get all of the right personnel, and that personnel is, you know, not just some rookies in some spots, but there's, you know, talent all over the place. Could be I, I, I want to have a defense that's one that's remembered, like you know, a, a Buddy Ryan defense mm-hmm. or a, you know, a, 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 a Ravens defense of, of the 2000 era, where I want something where a know, Rex it, Ryan it, one. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, it would suck if he left this year, but, you know, I'm not going to have my granddad or my grandkid on my knee in 40 years talking about this defense. It's going to be like exciting. Like, it has not the potential yet. to be really good. Exactly. Yeah. So 
I, I want to really have this defense be something before he leaves where he becomes one of those guys where in 35 years they're retiring some schmuck's number and they bring out the old giant coach and he comes out and he gets a standing ovation type of guy. Yeah. He's not there yet. We, no. We, we no, like the no. thought. We All the things are in place for that to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And I would like that to happen here with him. Um, Giants rookie watch. Really quick. I'm going to fire through him. Deontay Banks is coming along slowly. Don't freak out. Uh, John Michael Schmitz is being worked in and around um, center. They can't really hit yet, but starting tonight from the moment you're listening, they are putting pads on, so you're going to start to see more. Jalen Hyatt got a slow start, but he's picking up the pace. Eric Gray has been quiet, but it's really hard for running backs to make any sort of noise in training camp practices. Trey Hawkins is slowly earning more and more meaningful snaps um, through his play. Jordan Riley, quiet. Javarius Onans, I think, is hurt. Sounds like normal progress to me on almost all those accounts. Yep, just about. <laughs> I mean, they're rookies. And let me restate that. They're rookies. These are guys making the biggest jump in their athletic life going from college to the NFL. This is not going from high school to college. This is going from college to the best football players in the world by a mile. There is an acclimation period. The speed is so much faster. What is expected of them is so much more. They're getting you know, playbooks thrown out of them. They're like this fucking thick. It's going to take some time. And that's perfectly fine. Don't use bust. Don't use concern. That's don't worry about that stuff. Let them do their reps. I try not to overreact to training camp, but I am excited to see everybody Thursday. So if you're going this Thursday, come say hi. But even more than that, training camp is interesting and it's fun and whatever. But the preseason hey. games are really the time to see stuff start to come together. Um, I think those are the highlights that you can start to get excited over rather than, you know, highlights from practice from the team facility and stuff. Um, and we are going to the Talking Giants watch party next yeah. Friday. Um, Hell yeah. In Manhattan, I think. It's in Manhattan West. It's right across the street from the new Penn Station, the Moynihan Station. Oh, nice so, and easy. That is, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, we will be out there for sure uh, with uh, Bobby and Justin and all the cast of characters. So we're looking forward to, uh, you know, we've all been kind of, you know, you do your own thing when uh, when football season's over. After the playoffs, you go off and you get reacquainted with the wife and the kids. And <laughs> But now it's time to get reacquainted with our football families again. So this will be a great opportunity. Camp and the watch party, the best things about it. Doesn't matter if they lose, who cares? And you just... Hope's eternal. You're looking forward, and that that's the best thing you can be as a fan is you know starting over and hope. And remember, before we end this, this is still no news is good news season. <laughs> Just one Please final Lord. reminder. That includes me and you too, Grump. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. We will see you this Thursday or for our next episode next Tuesday. Until then. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.